Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Well, good morning. My name's Alan Meyer. I'm here with my wife, Helen. And uh, it's a real privilege to be able to share with you here at Albert Park. I'm here to talk about marriage and I know a bit about it. Helen and I met each other in high school and uh, this year we celebrate 53 years of marriage. And that's a clap for her. She's a, she, she deserves a clap. And uh, this morning it's my privilege to share with you on one of my favourite subjects. We. Uh, led a church in Mount Evelyn for 27 years. We've been part of the Church of Christ for about 35 years. And uh, we created a a series of discipleship and restorative courses called Life Keys. And marriage is one of the favourite things we do. I heard about a new minister who uh, just came to a church, maybe a bit like Cameron did, decided he'd run a marriage seminar and um, first thing he's going to do was to help the married people. So he organised this seminar and as he was doing so, one of the deacons told him that there happened to be an Italian in the church that he thought was about to celebrate his 50th wedding anniversary and pastor thought, well, I should interview him. Anyone who's been married for 50 years has really got something good to say. You should always talk to these people, however, before you interview them in public. On the opening of the seminar, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I believe one of our members, Luigi, has been married, coming up for his 50th. He says, come on up, Luigi, I'd just like to ask you some questions. He said, "Um, Luigi, he said, to what do you attribute the longevity of your marriage? He said, well, pastor, when I've been married about 30 years, he said, I took my wife to Italy. He said, man, that's, that's beautiful, that's very romantic. He says, what are you planning to do for your 50th? He says, I'm going to go and visit her. (laughs) Um, We got some better ideas than that, actually, this morning. Because marriage is the foundation and the core of God's eternal purpose. Not getting married and staying married, but marriage itself. God is the creator of gender. The Bible says the first act God did was to create a man in his own image and then draw out of that man, differentiate his wife, bring the two of them together. And the Bible says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the Apostle Paul, in reflecting on that verse talking to husbands and wives about loving one another. He quoted that verse from Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, he says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage in a sense is a parable. I mean, it's a very practical parable, but it is a parable that speaks about God's eternal purposes. And one of the most helpful insights that was ever delivered to me about marriage 
is that marriage is the greatest discipleship tool in God's hands to share with us, to teach us, and to develop us into his eternal purposes, which is an intimacy with Christ forever that is parabled by marriage itself. Marriage goes to the core of God's purposes for the development of our ability to love. Doesn't mean you have to be married in order to do that because love comes in many forms. But the, the brilliant thought is this. If you're going to have a marriage in which you get discipled to learn to love the way God loves and the way eternity is going to unfold, where do you find a paradigm in the Bible for marriage? Um, a pattern, something we could copy, something we could get a look at. I mean, since marriage goes to the core of God's purposes, there must be lots of really brilliant patterns for marriage in the Bible. Who should we look at? Interesting thing is that if we were talking this morning about leadership, we could find lots of good uh, patterns. Moses, the leader. Nehemiah, the leader. Jesus, the leader. Paul, the leader. Where do you go in the Bible to find a great marriage? Adam. Uh, maybe not. There, That's where all the trouble started. How about Abraham? Well, he gave his wife away, telling everybody she was his sister. I would not advise that. How about Jacob? Not good to marry a, a woman and her sister in the same week. That's a bad idea. And then when you get two more added to that mix, you get a picture of the problems that Israel then faced for the next 1,500 years. Well, how about King David and his six little wives? Wouldn't suggest that. How about Solomon and his 1,000? Where do you go in the Bible to find a pattern for marriage? And the answer is... You can't find a marriage in the Bible that'll be an appropriate pattern for yours unless you go to the one place you'd never think to go for a pattern of marriage, and that's to Mount Sinai, because the Ten Commandments are not what most people think they are. Most people think the Ten Commandments were ten things to do to get to heaven. They think ten things to do to get God to like you. They were not. They were the wedding vows that God asked of his bride, Israel. They have nothing to do with salvation. They never did. Uh, these were not Ten Commandments in order to get saved. When God drew Israel out of Egypt, she was already saved. She was already loved. He drew her to himself and in, Exodus, in Exodus 19, God told Moses, go and tell Israel, though I own all the world, I am choosing you to be my special treasure. But I need you to be a certain kind of a woman. And uh, you think, oh, that's stretching it. No, no, Isaiah uh, 54, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, for the Lord has called you like a wife. One who was divert, deserted and grieved in spirit. Hosea. God says to the prophet Hosea, you want to know how I feel? Go marry a prostitute because I'm having a real problem with faithfulness and my own wife. God called Israel to be his bride and the Ten Commandments were not ten things to get to heaven. They were the foundations of a relationship that would never fail. God's plan and purpose was not that 
Israel would be destroyed, but that their relationship would be a shining example to the world of what intimacy could look like and the, and the, 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 the life that intimacy can produce. It was going to be a window to his kingdom. It didn't work out so well. In fact, it's one of you're going to be doing divorce later on, but you can never talk on marriage without at least mentioning the issue of divorce because it's almost certain that you get this many people in a room and somebody sitting here and they've been through the pain of divorce and you don't want them to sit there feeling terrible for the whole of, the, of, a, of a service because they know that um, God hates divorce. But the reason God hates divorce is because he's been through one. You see, he drew that nation to himself and embraced her as a bride, but the marriage never lasted. Even God's marriage didn't last. In fact, one of the most poignant statements that you'll ever hear come out of the mouth of a prophet comes out of the mouth of Jeremiah. Because here we're now 700 years down the track from that wedding. And at this point, the marriage has failed. And God is about to give Israel a certificate of divorce. And it's a little bit like he, he's a broken-hearted husband who had hoped for so much better. And he's sitting there with the, the, the wedding album where all the photos of the wedding are. And he's sitting there with tears in his eyes. And through a prophet, he asks a question. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and you followed me through the wilderness. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? I've sat with many people over the years and heard a broken-hearted wife or a husband say exactly that. What was wrong with me? What was it about me that they just couldn't love? And in the very next chapter he says this, he says, I give you a certificate of divorce and I'm sending you away. Even God couldn't make that marriage last because marriage can't be, it doesn't matter how hard one person tries. If you don't get cooperation from the other side, you can't make a marriage work. And even God couldn't make that marriage work. And if God couldn't make it work, then sometimes people can't either. And that's why you'll have to consider the issue of divorce when you get down the track. But you see, if you've ever been through one, one of the sad things is that when you know that in the Bible, Malachi Bible says God hates divorce, you think he hates you. No, but he, he doesn't hate you. He, he hates divorce because he knows what it does to families and he knows what it does to people and he knows what it does to people's hearts. If you've been through a divorce, don't run away from God. You need to run to him. He's been through one. Um, he understands the pain like nobody else does. So don't run from him. Run to him and ask him how to rebuild a better life and how, how perhaps your life could be restored. But come back with me to the Ten Commandments. One of the most helpful paradigms I've ever had for thinking about my relationship with Helen is the Ten Commandments. Because here, finally, I have a paradigm that I can remember a plumb line to hold against my heart and my, and my behaviours and my choices because Helen matters profoundly to God and 53 years ago I stood in front of a Lutheran congregation and a Lutheran pastor and I said to her, forsaking all others, 
and cleaving only unto you, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. And that little girl trusted that promise. She pinned her future to that promise. And one day God is going to want to talk to me about that. And I have, um, I'm, the, I'm the recipient of the faithfulness of a 19-year-old little girl I met in high school to have made of our marriage something wonderful. And we're not a perfect match. Um, there are no perfect matches. How do you take two broken people, put them together and turn that into a perfect match? There aren't perfect matches. There are just wonderful, brilliant, extraordinary, damaged, imperfect people. And you put them in the same house and God says, I'd like to teach you how to love an imperfect person. And if you learn to do it really well, uh, it'll do you good. It'll prepare you for heaven. And I am the recipient of one of those extraordinary marriages. I grew up in a home where my father loved my mother all the days of his life. And as a result, I feel I am the beneficiary of what it means that when a, a man and a woman stand in the presence of God and commit themselves to love one another all the days of their life, and then they do that, they live that out, what that means in the hearts of the women, of the children that grow up under that, under that roof. Um, I have been marked by my, the heart of my mother and my father. I was 14 years old before I heard my dad say a crossword to my mum. And as a result, I grew up always believing that marriage would be wonderful. And I'm grateful to say that it has been. But it requires an understanding on both sides of the gender divide. Both a husband and a wife need to understand what are the building blocks of a relationship that doesn't fail. The Ten Commandments were not ten things to do to get to heaven. They were the building blocks of a relationship that never fails. And I tell you, the building blocks apply in every area of life. They are the foundation of a marriage as that, or that, the marriage between God and Israel was intended to never fail. They are the building blocks of a great church. You want your church to be a great church? Apply the same building blocks to relationships in this church and you'll build a great church. Do you want to build a great business? You want to build a great business? Apply these building blocks to your business. You want to build a great government? Apply the building blocks to the government. A, a nation can be a great nation if a nation is filled with people who understand the building blocks of relationships that never fail, and as a result, knowing the Ten Commandments can be really helpful. Now, the average person doesn't know. In fact, it would be really interesting today to ask how many people here actually know the Ten Commandments. Now, the reason I know them is not that I'm smarter than you, but I grew up in a Lutheran church. And Martin Luther discipled people around three things. He discipled them around the Ten Commandments, around the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. And he created Luther's small catechism. You grow up in the church. They take you, uh, your pastor takes you for two years through Luther's catechism. And as a result, I know the commandments. And here's, here they are. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself any graven image. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Fifth commandment, you shall honour your father and your mother that it may be well with you that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Sixth commandment, you shall not kill. 
Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his cattle, nor anything that is your neighbour's. And every time I say the tenth commandment, I have that little glow of inward satisfaction because I do not believe I have ever coveted my neighbour's ox. Some of the other commandments were a little bit shaky, but I want to tell you, I reckon I got the ox thing pretty much nailed down. You say, Al, what, the, what are you going to do with that? There are the building blocks of your marriage, of your church, of your business, of your nation. Because if you understand the heart at the back, the spirit, I'm not here to tell you, go back and do the Ten Commandments again get back under the law, but the law was, a, was a, a representation of the heart of God. And it's the spirit of the law that love fulfills. Love is a fulfillment of every one of these commandments. If you love, you'll be doing this stuff. Now the first commandment, here's the great thing. You shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> Got to learn something about covenant from the Old Testament. Old Testament covenants were always formed with the shedding of blood. The Old Testament word for covenant is berit. And it has three ideas attached to it. Um, the idea, first of all, is that of cutting. The second is that of binding. And the third is that of eating. Now, Australia's got it wrong. When people want to ha have the excitement of intimate relationships, they go shack up together. No concern about the dying, no concern about the binding, let's just get to the sex. Let's just get to having fun. But that's not where covenants begin. Now, if we're having enough fun, we might seal this thing up someday. That's a total failure to appreciate the nature of relationships that last. See, it begins with cutting, it begins with the shedding of blood, it begins with dying. That's why when you get married, you get married at an altar. Do you realise what happens at an altar? <laughs> Things die at altars. Without the shedding of blood, the, the reality is this, that when I married this girl 53 years ago, women wept all over the world. <laughs> That's not the right time to laugh, madam. That is a... <clears throat> Why? Because that was the day all my alternatives died. See, one of the greatest keys to long-term relationships asks the question, would I be prepared to die for this? Would I be prepared to lay down my life for this? Would I be prepared to sacrifice for this? Because that's where all covenants began. They took an animal and they sacrificed them. And they would then separate the body parts and the two people who were making a covenant, would then make promises to one another and walk down that bloody pathway. In other words, they were saying, my alternatives have been put to death today and I commit myself to this relationship. You may not be perfect, I may not be perfect, but we're going to find a way to fulfil these promises. Jesus demonstrated to us that he was prepared to die that this might live. It's the nature of all permanent relationships. Are you prepared to lay your life down for it? And this is why pre-marriage counselling is really, really important. Because by and large, often people haven't thought that through very carefully. 
Would you be prepared to lay down all your alternatives in order to commit yourself to this? Now, when it comes to Jesus, I've made that decision. Um, I'll prepare, I'm prepared to lay anything down. I'm going to do. The, I'm, I'm going to live this one out. I made that commitment to that little girl 53 years ago, and now comes a posture in my heart. I can't. I couldn't imagine divorce. Murder. I have contemplated on more than one occasion, <laughs> but never divorce. I promised her, and one day God will want to talk to me about that. Great, great relationships begin with commitment. The second commandment. You shall not make for yourself any, any idols. We're, Helen and I would love to do a whole seminar for you on just this one commandment. Because here comes the second element of great relationships, and that is you learn to do them face-to-face. You know, we were created for face-to-face relationships, and yet we're not very good at it. The tendency is to run off and look for surrogate places to feel the excitement of intimacy and relationship and God knew that there was something in the broken heart of humanity that finds it difficult to do life face to face. New Covenant puts it this way, come boldly to the throne of grace. God wanted Israel to do their their religion and their worship and their relationship with him face to face. Don't go off looking for other places to express it. Come to me. Now, Businessmen can often find themselves not, they don't want to go home because I found a place where I really, I'm really the master of the universe. As soon as I go home, there's questions I can't answer and there's conflict I don't know what to do with and there's kids, you know, kids go off to school and come home again. I think we could just fix that, just get them to stay away for a while. That'd be much better. The reality is that doing life face-to-face requires skill. It requires emotional energy. And the second commandment, God said, you want a relationship, you bring your relationship issues to me. And if we, had, uh, if we had just a whole morning on this today, we could share something really valuable of learning to turn towards one another, not to turn away and not to turn against. And that's a skill. And one of the things that we love doing, people, is to show people how to turn towards one another and do your relationship face to face, not through some other form of personal expression. Then comes the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The words you use will build your relationship with God or destroy it. The words you use with one another will build it or destroy it. And one of the things we know about divorce is that 92% of all divorces you will find four forms of communication that regularly appear. It's what destroys a church too. It'll do a business, it'll, it'll destroy a business. And right now it's ripping Canberra apart. The first is the issue of criticism. That so much of the conversation just begins to focus around things I don't like and criticism. Criticism has a very natural response to a human heart. No one wants to get hurt and so you defend yourself. It results in defensiveness. Just find a way to protect yourself. Well, if you're not getting through and they start to defend themselves, you're up the ante and now it moves from criticism to contempt. You're not just wrong, you're stupid. And as you do, you begin to destroy the human heart, it pulls back and now you get stonewalling and nobody wants to talk to one another and that's politics in 2021. How hard it is to get people to just talk to one another in civil forms and to speak words of recognition that some people actually did something right. and 
it's worthy of commendation. Um, and when a, a life is filled with criticism, defensiveness, contempt and stonewalling, there is a demon, you'll rip that thing apart, that will fall apart. And the wonderful thing is you can teach people to do this stuff. Fourth commandment. God said to Israel, remember the Sabbath day. What are you going to do with that? God said to Israel, I want your time. I want devoted time. Put away your iPhone. Put away the newspapers and turn off the TV. Give me your attention for a day a week. Uh, one of the loveliest things in life is learning how to love the one you marry. We've got it wrong. We think you find someone, fall in love, and then you, you marry the one you love. Well, you'll very soon discover that there's a thinness to that because they're not perfect people and they don't do and say everything perfect. Now you're going to have to learn to love the one you married. That's discipleship. Takes some skill. Takes time and takes focus. Imagine taking time every single day or every week to learn who this person is, become a PhD in just one person. <laughs> love languages. Uh, doing some work on love languages, asked a guy, tell me, do you know your wife's favourite flower? He said, yeah. He said, I think it's self-raising flower. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think you missed the point there, mate. Um, PhD in love. Give people the time. And one thing you can teach people, how to use time to really develop an understanding of who it is you're trying to love. The fifth commandment. You shall honour your father and your mother. One of the most significant insights to developing a great relationship in marriage is to have figured out how to love your mum and dad. Because at the core of every relationship that lasts, listen to me, that's the core of every church that prospers, you'll find honour. I'm not trying to find out where the faults are and kind of inform you of them regularly. I'm trying to see what you brought to the table that is a profound blessing because I want to honour that. I want to commend you for it. Um, I want to show gratitude for what you brought to this thing. The sad thing that in every church that fails, it fails around the issue of criticism because people aren't perfect. When I first took over the church in uh, Mount Evelyn, I was uh, the subject from a few people of a barrage of criticism because I wasn't Kenneth Copeland. Now, you may not even know who that person is, but he was a faith preacher of the 1980s and clearly I was not Kenneth Copeland. And as a consequence... Can any good thing come out of someone who isn't Kenneth Copeland? Well, apparently, yes, but if you expect me to be Kenneth, I'm dead because I'm not Kenneth. Um, we tried to change this young guy. They wanted me to change. Well, I can't. Sorry, I am who I am. And if, if you would appreciate what I bring to the table, perhaps we could have a great church. But if I have to be Kenneth, we're all dead because I'm not Kenneth. The reality is this, that your mum and dad weren't perfect and God says, I want you to learn to love imperfect parents 
because you see there's going to be two things going on if you ever learn to honour an imperfect person. Firstly, you're going to learn to see the good they bring and you show gratitude and you're going to realise they're not perfect and you're going to show them forgiveness. And if you can learn to honour the good stuff and forgive the inadequacies, you can love your mum and dad and then you could carry that on into your workplace, to your marriage, to your church, to your business and every other place and by the grace of God, you could develop a great relationship. Well, I'm not going to be able to get through all of these ten. Let me flip to perhaps, oh, we'll just mention a couple. You shall not kill. Killing is bad for marriage. You should get that sort of <laughs> relatively early in life. But you see, Jesus revisited that commandment in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard about don't kill. I want to say to this, stop being angry. Calm the place down. Fill the place with a sense of peace. Make your home a safe place. And there's that, that's a skill you've got to learn. We call them soft startups and harsh startups. Well, I can't get a shirt. And uh, calm it down. How about this one? You shall not commit adultery. It's not just about adultery. One of the greatest skills, I did my doctorate on this. I created a, a program for men living in a highly sexualized world. Jesus took that commandment and revisited that one too. Jesus said this, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I want to say to you, whoever looks upon a woman and lusts after in his heart has committed adultery already. Now, we didn't know what that meant until uh, through the study of the macaque monkeys, we began to understand that in the brain there are mirror neurons and what we see is the brain begins to think it's actually doing through mirror neurons. It's one of the ways in which we socialise and it's one of the ways in which we learn. But Jesus said if you live in a pornified environment, you need to be really aware of the fact that every time you look and see in that way, you are adulterizing yourself and it will destroy your marriage. One of the great reasons for marriage failures today is that men and women don't understand the damage that it takes when you live in an unholy environment. I could do some more on that. No thieving, no honesty. Come to the last one. You shall not covet. Do you know... Helen isn't everything. Do you know Ellen isn't everything either? How are you supposed to build a relationship with a woman who isn't everything? You know, years ago they created a movie called Pretty Woman. Now, who was the woman that they did in that? Julia Roberts, that's the one. Julia Roberts was cast in the role of the pretty woman. But do you know when they were shooting that film, they couldn't use all of Julia Roberts' bits in some parts, they use another woman's hands. In some parts, they use another woman's legs because apparently Julia Roberts isn't everything either. And if you want perfection, you're going to have to make up a hybrid woman. Problem is a hybrid woman doesn't exist. Only real women exist. Helen isn't everything. God says if you expect another human being to be everything, there's no hope for them. If they have to... If they have to pass the critical test of being better than everyone on the planet in every... Then no one can pass that test. You shall not covet. The essence of covering, coveting is to think that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. If only God had given me that guy's car. If only I had that guy's job or that guy's house or that guy's wife or that woman's husband. If uh, something like the, the secret to my happiness is something I, God just never gave me. 
The grass is always green on the other side of the earth. God says you need to learn to dwell within limits. It's why marriage is one of the great covenantal blessings. It's why coming to church is one of the great covenantal blessings of life. Because church isn't perfect either. Your pastor isn't perfect. Don't expect him to be. He's not everything, but he's something. My wife isn't everything, but boy, she's something. And if I will express gratitude and receive with thanksgiving what God has made her to be and why he put her in my life, I can have a fantastic life because the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is always greener where you water it the most. And if you learn to water your relationships, you can have great relationships. If you learn to water the relationships in your church, you can have great relationships because God is preparing us to live forever in covenant relationships. Now I've gone in a very quick time over 10 extraordinary building blocks for great relationships. It's my prayer that in the coming months as your pastor opens the word of God to you and as you go through different experiences together that some of these building blocks could become the solution to the struggle that you currently have. That's where Helen and I spend most of our time. Helen is a counsellor, I'm a pastor. And together we seek to help people not only encounter God, but encounter the life that God intended. So much of it has to do with these building blocks of great relationships. And it's my prayer that you as a church will experience the wonder of imperfect people creating great, unbreakable relationships. Father, I pray today over these precious lives. I pray, Father, over this congregation and its future. I pray, Father, over this young leader and his wife and family as they've started a new ministry in this place. It is my prayer that this church will embrace them for what they are and thank God for who they are and what they bring and that they will honour them in that way and they'll add this building block to this church of great gratitude God gave us a gift. Father, I want to thank you for my wife. I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. I thank you that you gave that little girl the faith to say yes to an imperfect man. I thank you that the only perfect one we have is Jesus. That in Christ, everything can become new. And I pray, Father God, over the marriages in this church, that great grace will be their portion in Jesus' name. Amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10 a.m. every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.